So we're continuing on in our series, The Parables of Jesus, and today we're going to look at a parable about the theological term called justification, which is the action of being made righteous insofar as salvation is concerned. So we are made righteous by the Lord. So that's kind of what this parable is about. So we're going to start off in this parable. Okay, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is found in Luke 18, 9 through 14, and it starts off like this. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So here is the context clue to know this parable is about justification because here Jesus said there are people that think they can be made righteous or be justified before God by trusting in themselves or in other words, trusting in their good works. I can be a good person, so therefore God will accept me. So they're trusting in their own good works for salvation. And in some cases, because they're trusting in their own good works for salvation, here's what happens. The outworking is they treat others with contempt or think they are better than other people. So they think, I've achieved something, I must be better than other people. So he goes on. Oop, you knew that was going to happen. Okay. It says this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So a Pharisee and a tax collector. This is actually, uh, culturally, this is a very sharp contrast. Because on one hand, you have a Pharisee, a Jewish leader, a teacher, a well-respected pillar of the community. Okay, generally speaking, they were looked upon as people that God had favor on. Okay, so they were looked on as this pillar of society, this good religious person. Everybody looked and saw that person. There's a holy man. There's a person who God must accept. A tax collector, on the other hand, worked for the Roman government, which highly taxed the people. And basically, the people felt that the high taxes were very unfair. And what happened is, if you were a Roman tax collector, it was kind of known that when you went around to, to collect taxes, that you would probably skim some off the top. So basically, a tax collector would be seen in the eyes of this community as just a, a person that nobody wanted to be around, a rotten sinner, a person that was working for a corrupt government and doing corrupt things. So needless to say, the common belief of that day was Pharisees were justified before God and they would be accepted by him and tax collectors probably were not. So you see this sharp contrast here. So it was also common to go to the temple to pray. Now, the Pharisee was praying out loud because he was a religious leader, and I would imagine because it, it was a parable, which is a story or illustration, that the tax collector's prayer that we're going to look at was probably silent, just be, between him and God. But obviously, Jesus is telling this parable, so Jesus knows the hearts of people, but it's also a story and an illustration. But the point is, both of the prayers actually reveal the heart of the person praying, okay? Both of the prayers reveal the heart of the person praying. So let's get into the prayer. It says, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, 
adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes all of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, talking about the Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, crazy scene right here. A righteous man praying and an unrighteous man praying. A righteous man praying, and think about this. If you were in this fellowship, this temple, and you heard this Pharisee praying, how would you be thinking? What would you be thinking? So let's break it down a little bit. Back to uh, the, the verse 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So this Pharisee starts off, God, I thank you. That's good, right? Okay, God, I thank you. He's giving some credit to God here. He's looking at God and saying, okay, I thank you that I'm not like, okay? He's giving God some credit for the fact that he's not like other sinful people. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He doesn't use his power or title as a leader for personal gain. That's basically what he's saying. He's not an adulterer, meaning he's probably faithful to his wife. So the people at this point may be in agreement. I mean, can you just imagine this, okay? Somebody up here praying like this. Everybody's eyes are closed, and you're like, okay, okay, this sounds all right, all right? All of a sudden, right? All of a sudden, this guy, like, this guy starts to say things that are in a downward spiral, right? Okay, like, you might be in agreement right now. This, then he starts with criticism, and judgment of the tax collector. So they're in this fellowship, and this tax collector is there, and you can only imagine the tax collector when he hears this part. Okay, I'm not like this guy over here, and the tax collector's probably like, oh man, I should have went to work today. Okay, why did I come here? Okay, what's going on? Even the other people in the temple at this point may have been like, this is really getting real here, okay? What's going to happen after this guy stops praying? So the first lesson that we can learn right away is the statements of judgment from this Pharisee. Think about this for a second. The statements of judgment from this Pharisee. Remember, one of the reasons Jesus told this parable was because the righteous were treating others with contempt, which means they were looking down on other people. So the people that thought they were better than others were looking down on other people. Now, this man was judging the tax collector. Granted, this man, the, the, the tax collector was a tax collector, but he was thinking, I am better than this man. Maybe not knowing anything in detail about this man, he was thinking he was better. Okay, he was casting judgment. Now, this is important for us as believers, because sadly, sometimes Christians fall into the trap. They judge other believers, and sometimes their judgments are accurate, or sometimes our judgments are accurate which still does not always give us the right to judge. Other times, people's judgments are way off. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes people make a judgment of someone else, and they're way off. Now, I'm going to share a little illustration with you. 
This is the last time, I think, that I'm going to use the pandemic and the masks and stuff like that as an illustration. But it just, it's just such a perfect illustration. I had a talk with a believer about the mask mandate that we all dealt with for however long, 15 months. That person made a comment to me, and they says, Christians complying with the mask mandate are acting in fear rather than faith. Now, so I'm sitting here as a Christian who complied with the mass mandate, who led our church to comply with the mass mandate. So I just said, well, you know what? No, we're actually acting in obedience rather than disobedience. Because the scripture tells us to obey the authorities that are set above us unless those authorities tell us to disobey God. That person made an inaccurate judgment. That's what judgment is. When you're judging somebody based upon what your perception is. Okay, so then I'm thinking this person really didn't think through what kind of Christian I would be if I didn't listen to the authorities that were above me. What kind of Christian leader I would be if I didn't lead the church to obey the authorities. I have to say, I'm very pleased with our church, how all of you responded and how all of you took this whole thing, okay? Because it wasn't easy, but we did it. And we did it to glorify the Lord. So even if we didn't fully agree with every step of the way, we still did it. And do you know what? When we obey the authorities that are put above us, do you know what it teaches us? It teaches us how to obey God. Just like you with your children. You teach them to obey you because you're teaching them to obey God. So now when I see a Christian that's not willing to obey the authorities that are above them, then I have to ask, are they going to obey God when God asks them to do things? You know, then I thought about this statement a little more, and I thought, you know what? Some people are afraid. Now, who is this person to judge a person who maybe is vulnerable and are afraid? So that's one of the motivators for them wearing a mask. Or they had somebody at home who was vulnerable, so that was one of the motivators. Who is this person to shame another person for their decisions? And you know what? Sometimes fear isn't that bad. Do you know what I'm afraid of? Skydiving, okay? <laughs> Do I have a lack of faith? Some might say yes, and that would be a judgment, okay? Because the thing is, I'm not going to jump out of a plane with a parachute. I don't care what anybody says. It's just what I'm afraid of. Swimming with sharks, another thing. I have a list, okay? Does that mean that I don't have faith? So think about this for a second. So that person's statements put them themselves into the category of a Pharisee. Now, I didn't say Pharisee, Pharisee, Pharisee. I would have loved to, but that's not what Jesus wants me to do, okay? So here's the thing. When we look down on others for how they operate in life, and it's not in a sinful way, then it's a judgment call, isn't it? Then this Pharisee speaks in two areas, and this is where it gets a little bit more real, okay? He speaks of two areas of his righteousness that should not be public knowledge, fasting and giving. Here are two things that we don't talk about a ton at this church on Sundays, but they're things that believers should be doing. The first, fasting, right? Fasting is a part of your prayer life. It's sacrificially abstaining from something that is normally not sinful. So the most common way that we fast is not eating and putting your focus 
into prayer. So, for example, you may fast through a meal and spend some extra time because of a certain prayer request that you might have. You might have a big decision, like who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, or if you're going to have kids, buying a home or taking a new job. And you might have that specific request, and you might say, you know what, today I'm skipping lunch and I'm going to focus on praying during my lunchtime. And I'm not going to eat, I'm just going to pray. Maybe it's a health situation with, for you or someone you love. But the, the point is this. Fasting is a spiritual focus, okay? Fasting is something that you're saying, this is part of my prayer life. Fasting can also be giving up something that you're spending too much attention on. Maybe it's TV, social media, a hobby. The concept here is this, taking time to sacrifice and focus on prayer. But do you know what Jesus says? He says, when you do that, okay, some of you might say, well, how come I never hear about people fasting at our church? It's like, well, because here's the thing. They don't want to go against what Jesus says, because here's, here's what he says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It'd be like you coming in and be like, oh, and people be like, oh, how's it going? Well, you know, I mean, I've been fasting all weekend. I'm so hungry, but I'm really spiritual though, okay? So that, that's basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is stuff that you should keep to yourself. So now think a bit about this temple fellowship. All the people, their eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, and this guy's up here like, yep, I fast. That's me, okay? Think about this for a second. It's pretty crazy. So Jesus is saying fasting should be kept between you and God. The Pharisee was publicly bragging about this. The second thing he brags about is what he gives, his tithing. Tithing or giving. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe is roughly 23% of your income. That's the Old Testament tithe. If you study the Old Testament, you'll find out the Old Testament tithe is roughly 23% of your annual income. Today, it's commonly held that the tithe is 10% of your income given to the work of the Lord. You've probably heard me teach that I believe the New Testament teaches that we give as we are prospered, which means that for some of you, 10% is really no sacrifice. You look at 10% and say, eh, that's, that's easy, okay? Next, God, what should I do? Okay, well, what God says to you is this. You should give generously and cheerfully. You should give in abundance. That's what the Lord says. Okay, when we start putting figures on our giving, here's what happens. We start to check boxes. Okay, we start to check boxes. So you give as you're prospered. So the point here is the Pharisee is boasting about something, what? That should be kept secret. Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, <clears throat> as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Think about this. Don't let your left hand know what your right, or your left hand know what your right hand is giving. 
Okay? That means that this should be such a personal thing for you. You know, we take this very seriously here at the church. There's actually only a few people that know what any of you give, and that is only for accounting purposes. I am not one of those people. I don't know what anybody gives. We never want to fall into the trap of bowing to people's opinions just because they are big givers or pacifying other people just because they're not big givers, okay? We never want to fall into that trap. We realize that you want to give in secret because that's what the scriptures say. And again, I'm very pleased with our church because guess what? I don't know if you've noticed this. We do post the finances, right? They're never under. Okay, the reason why is because you love the Lord and support the work. It's not like, okay, we're doing a good job. It's no, you guys love the Lord and you want to support his work here in the community. And guess what? And we don't announce it. I remember a a, a professor at one of my schools uh, at at my school. um, He said when he was growing up, he went to a church and they literally would post Every week, the names and the amounts that people would give and who was the biggest giver. And, and the church's perspective was, it encourages people to try to win that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matthew 6. As believers, we should never brag about our giving. Or we shouldn't look into the giving of others or criticize and judge what they give. So this Pharisee gets up, prays this prayer with a heart intention, and probably believing that he will be justified before God. He's probably believing he's going to be justified before people. And in fact, in that culture, in that day, some people were like, yeah, this guy's a good guy, okay? He's a good guy, because, you know, they're confused, you know? But Jesus puts the brakes on, okay? Jesus puts the brakes on this by using the example of this tax collector. Let's look. It says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, here's a picture of not only a known sinner in that culture, but someone that knows they actually are a sinner, and they need help, and they can't save themselves. That's why I said this prayer was probably a private prayer. I don't think that he stood up publicly and said this. The prayer of the Pharisee, although was not very a, a nice prayer to the tax collector, may, though, have actually convicted the tax collector. Now, interestingly enough, this tax collector was obviously broken by his sin. If he wasn't, he probably would have just looked at that Pharisee when he came in and heard his prayer and thought this to himself. Oh, you think you're so great. Who are you to judge? Okay, that would show that tax collector's heart, right? Think about it. If you went in and somebody called you out, look at this guy over here, and your response was, well, look at you. Who do you think you are? Who are you to judge me? You think you're so great, right? All of a sudden, you're defensive, But he didn't. Think about this guy for a second. He didn't. He was just like, man. I don't know what the whole thought processes were, but I can only imagine when he heard this this Pharisee praying, he might have thought like, I got to be more like that. Like, I'm a sinner. I don't do any of that stuff. So in some senses, there was some good taken from 
the actual prayer. So do we act like that? No. Okay. Okay. Your, your good works can actually be an example to people. You don't call people out like that. But this is where salvation begins for a person. Okay. He's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what salvation comes down. Admitting that we are sinners, that we need a savior, that Jesus is that Savior that died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That Jesus rose from the grave and he said, all who believe will have eternal life. You ever notice when we talk about the gospel, when I preach about the gospel, it's always starting off with, we are sinners. I know it's not a popular message, okay? I fully get that. When I get up here on Sunday morning, I fully understand people are going to say to themselves, well, I'm not really that bad, okay? I'm not really a sinner. In our culture, they don't want to know that they're sinners. But the problem is, unless you admit you're a sinner, you can't be saved. Because what are you being saved from? The fact that you're so good? No. We're sinners. And we need a Savior. And that's why you see in our culture right now that our culture is trying to level everything. That's not sin. That's not sin. That's not sin. That's not sin. Eventually, you know what? I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but I would only imagine that there's going to be a point where things today that everybody knows are sin, when I'm like an 80-year-old man, I'm going to be like, wait, they're not calling that sin anymore? Okay. Because I know some of you that are probably 80 here and like, you're like, wait, they're not calling that sin anymore? And what's going to happen is, is eventually it's going to look like there's no one doing anything wrong, and all of a sudden, there's no need for a Savior. Because we're all fine. We're all good. So some might say it worked that the, the tax collector realizes sin from the Pharisee's prayer, and it did, right? But living right will convict others. You don't need to tell everyone the good things you do. Live the way that you're supposed to live with the Christian testimony that you're supposed to have and people will wake up. And I'm not saying you don't tell them the gospel, but you live the life that God desires for you to live. So what does Jesus say about these two men? He says, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector admits his need for God. The Pharisee thinks that he's achieved favor with God by his good works. Seems like to me that the tax collector is the believer and the Pharisee is not. Which, if he's not, he will eventually be humbled when he dies. Okay? That means when he stands in judgment before God, God's going to say, you thought that you found favor in, from me because of the things that you're doing, but you rejected my help. You rejected me. How about that? The religious leader is doing works of religion and has no relationship with God. But the sinner asks for God's mercy, and God grants it. How good is God that no matter what we've done, 
in our lives that he's willing to grant us mercy when we humble ourselves. You know, sometimes we can go through life exalting ourselves, praising ourselves, acting as if we're something more than we actually are. And God says, no, that's not what happens. That's not how we should act. The person that thinks he needs no help because he's doing it on his own or on her own fails to go to God. When we think we could do it on our own, we fail to go to God. But the person, in this case, the tax collector, who's failing miserably and willing to admit it, goes to God, and God helps that person. You know, I think this event here in this parable is why these next verses are recorded. Now, these next verses, I want to point out to you. Now, this is the let the little children come to me, right? We put this on all our children's ministry stuff all the time, right? And, you know, we're like, Jesus wants it. But interestingly enough, this falls right after this parable. Now, let me read this to you. It says this. Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the, dis when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now here's what's happening. He's giving an example now of humility, of people that know they need help. Think about this. As kids we start off knowing we need help, okay? We can't do anything, okay? And as, once we learn to talk, we're like, Daddy, Mommy, help me, help me, help me, right? Okay? Then what happens is we become teenagers and young adults, and we think we know everything, okay? It's true, okay? If you don't remember it, if you have teenagers, you're living it, okay? <laughs> then life smacks you upside the head a few times, right? A few dozen times. And then you realize, I need help, okay? I don't know everything. I can't do this all on my own. I need help. You know what? It's a funny thing that the very young, the very young, and the very spiritually mature both know they need help. The rest of us fall somewhere in the middle, right? We think we got this. I don't need any help. And if you've ever been in a situation where it became very real that you need help, you know what I'm talking about, okay? You know what I'm, when you've hit the end of your rope and you just said, the only place I could look is up, then you start to realize, man, I should have been looking up the whole time, okay? That's the spiritually mature. That's our goal. So what Jesus is saying, our goal is to actually be like little children who realize, I can't do it on my own, but I have my parents to help me. We as believers, we can't do it on our own, but we have our loving Heavenly Father to help us. Isn't that good news? We all need to humble ourselves to come to Jesus for salvation. We need to humble ourselves to ask for help daily to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus. Because if we think that we can do these things on our own, not only does it not work, here's what it's going to do. It's going to cause us to look down on other people like the Pharisee did that day when he stood up and prayed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. 
I'm thankful for this church, Lord. I'm thankful for all the people that have continued to follow all the directives that we had to follow over this past year, to continue to not look down on other people, to continue to love and serve other people. We're thankful for that. Lord, we pray and we know none of us have arrived at this place of humility, but we're thankful that we've arrived at the place of humility to know that we need you to save us. I pray that we never fall into the trap of the Pharisee, of thinking that we're better than other people, thinking that our works somehow gain more favor. I pray that we humble ourselves and realize that we need your help daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.